And if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, swipe with me to John chapter 1. Uh, we are going to be starting in verse 1 tonight. John 1, verse 1. And it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, kind of like this you know, thing here. I can't see any of you. You're all in the darkness. I'm in the light. Um, and the darkness has not overcome it. Take that as you will. Heresy already. Okay, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but, that, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We've been doing this series on how do we know God. And we started the first week looking at how, how God is rational. The belief in God, the idea of God is a reasonable one. Uh, then last week we were looking at how God is experiential that we can know God in a relational way in this in this experience and tonight we're looking at this idea of knowing God through the person of Jesus Christ because if we base our life just on what we've talked about so far if we just base our life our faith the idea of reality on either of the two previous things we've talked about they're both important they'll both have a place but if by themselves, they become insufficient. Like anybody who's done philosophy 101 knows that at some point it becomes really hard to base your life strictly on rationalism. Because it's always comical when the professor says, prove your existence, and you're like, well, because to use your cognitive faculties to prove your cognitive faculties is self-defeating. You realize, I can't prove that I am not the brain in the vats of some mad scientist, right? Like at some level, you, you can't prove your own reality, your own existence. And so at some level, it gets kind of like matrixy, you know? You're like, what, you know? But I was reading about this lady recently who, this girl in college, she was living her whole life in college. Okay, I'm gonna work just from the rational, strictly as the foundation of my life. And how hard it was for her to, to believe in anything, somebody asked her, like, why don't you believe in God? She's like, I can't even believe in myself half the day. Like, I don't even know what is reality. And so at some level, we kind of realize that there's some limitation to that, um, that God is rational, but, but there's this limitation to that. But on the other side, we have our experiences. And those things also do the same kind of thing. At some level, as important as that is, and God is, is relational and experiential that we can experience it, we have to be really careful about our experiences. Because so often, you know, I talk to students and they're like, I don't, I have a hard time believing if I believe in God at all, I believe, I don't know if he's good. Because look at my life. Look, I mean, I've had a, I've had a hard time of it. And I think about my wife 
who you know, grew up, she thought her family was great until when she was 10, her dad uh, was caught by her mom uh, doing, I, I think it was meth or something in the house. He was actually addicted to drugs. She didn't know it. She was ignorant of it, but uh, her mom kicked her dad out of the house. He ended up doing some stupid stuff. Three strikes were out. He was in prison. First time I ever met my father-in-law, I had to get permission from the Oregon State of Corrections in Eastern Oregon to go visit him in prison because he was there for like 20 years after that. She, she grew up in this, in this shattered environment. Her mom married somebody else. A year later, the FBI raided her house and took that man away for the rest of his life. Like she was, her life was broken. And if we base our idea of who God is through the lens of our reality, of our experiences, we can oftentimes say, I don't know if God is good. I don't, I don't know about this. Or sometimes we've had a really good life. Some of you guys are like, hey, I'm a CSU student. Maybe I came from like an upper middle class. You know, like things have been pretty good. Mommy and daddy loved me. Things were, were great. And and you you have this perception of like God is here to, to keep that thing rolling, right? To kind of be Santa Claus in the sky, to keep blessing me in what I'm trying to do and my goals and my objectives. And, and you have this perception of God based on your experiences in life. But John says, hey, both of these things are limiting. Because he's saying, actually, there's this, there's this other way. Every other worldview in the world tends to go one of those two directions. It tends to work from one of those two perspectives, either like in its core, in its ethos, and its philosophy, uh, an experiential or, or a rational perspective. But here's John, and he's about to start talking about Jesus. He's about to say, hey, here's all these cool things that he did. But he said, before we get to that, I need to actually start with this. I need to start kind of lay the foundation, lay the groundwork to, that you can see everything else through, so you can perceive everything through that lens. Because all of a sudden, he starts talking about this Jesus, and he says, if you look at him, if you look to him as the foundation of, of your reality and your life and your meaning, if you look to him, not strictly rational, although it is rational, you know, John says he's the word, which is the word logos, which is like this this, where we get the word logic today. It is, it is reasonable. He says, look at Jesus. Look at his goodness. Look at his nature. Look at how profound and significant and incredible he was. Was he all talk and no deeds? Like, look at this guy. Reason together and, and experience his goodness in your life. Look at your experiences. Because when you start looking at him, all of a sudden the experiences of your life start to filter. The good and the bad through the focus of his presence and his goodness. Redeeming the bad transforming the good, using all things ultimately for our good. When you start to look at the rational, you start to see his intrinsic nature within the reason, and you start to realize what John is saying is we need to live our life not on the rational by itself and not by the experiential by itself, but by a person, by a human being, by this being as the foundation of all things. And so you have to then ask the question, well, okay, why? Why Jesus? You know, why not myself? Why can't I be the basis of my own reality, my own morality, my own sense of self? Why, why Jesus? Why not, you know, why not, you know, that girlfriend or or my family or maybe some guy, you know, aspire look up to, you know, maybe Gandhi from history, you know, some good person. Why does it have to be Jesus? And John starts out saying, hey, here's a few reasons. And the first thing he says is in the beginning, and. You know, we could talk about, you know, was it 15 billion years ago, or, you know, you get to the quantum vacuum or multiverse and all these different things. Like, it doesn't matter. Nothing, something does not come from nothing. And so there was one thing. 
there was God. And he speaks, and everything explodes. Everything comes into reality. Everything exists all of a sudden. And and John's saying that that is who spoke on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's who, who hung out with the disciples for three years. That's when when he spoke and universes explode is the same voice, it's the same being as when all of a sudden I shook. <laughs> and all of a sudden we see him speak the Beatitudes. Love those who hate you. Do good to those who persecute you. The same voice who started the human narrative and breathed life into us is the same voice that breathed his last on the cross. That this is the same dude, is what John's trying to say. This is the same guy. He created us. But not only did he create us, not only did he start this whole thing, but he also, he didn't just leave us, created us and leave us. He, he began to reveal to us what where, what we were like and what truth was. It says he, he was the light, and the light was brought into the darkness and revealed. You know, in Romans, the Bible says that, except for God's revelation to us, I would not have realized my own shortcomings and failings and how far I was from God, how much I needed Him. Because I was just ignorant in my, in my you know, this kind of Christian word, but this word sin, which is like this shortcoming, missing the mark. But, but in his revelation, I began to realize how much I needed him, how powerful and significant and beautiful he was. But it wasn't just like, hey, see, like how much, you know, how far you fall short? All right, see you later. Because it was revelation and then it was also transformation. Because then he says, not only was he the creator and not only was he the one who brought truth into reality and revealed the truth of reality, but then he also brought away to that redemptive work and he redeems humanity and he says life you know this this life and he brought life with him and so he's the source of life he breathed life into us and here we are living and breathing and we exist as a result of his creative nature and we can talk about you know how all that works it doesn't it doesn't matter for our case right now it's just the idea like that he is is the author directing and creating and designing reality and and here we are and he's saying and i want so much for you i want life for you because the bible actually highlights this crazy idea it says that you're actually if you don't have this relationship with god it, it sounds almost offensive honestly but here's what he's saying he's saying you are dead in some ways you are dead and you say, well, I don't feel dead. Yeah, dead people don't feel dead. It's only alive people who, like, see the contrast. They sense the difference between what that is and what this is. And he, what Jesus said, Jesus said, hey, flesh gives birth to flesh. Like, your mom, your dad, they got together, they had a good time, here you are. Right? Here, flesh gives birth to flesh. But spirit, spirit gives birth to spirit. He said, there is something more. I created you physically, but there's more. There's so much more. There is this connecting to the author of reality. There is this connecting to the source of life itself. And he's saying, I have watched so much more for you. In fact, I will give you this identity as a child of God if you just receive it, if you just take hold of it. 
I'm offering that to you. So, so one of the things that this applies, one of the things that like this highlights is this idea of of what is our identity and where do we find our identity. Um, that's weird. My notes are all over the place. You think on a computer, you wouldn't get them all mixed up. Um, but he created you for a purpose. The same God who spoke reality that we experienced also spoke reality over you to experience it through. He said, this is what humanity is supposed to be like. C.S. Lewis said it this way when he said, Jesus did not come to make bad men good. That's not the idea. He said he came to make dead men alive. To bring you back to life. And that's where Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the place where you can find that incredible, powerful, significant life that you were meant to live. You know, in a university like this, we always, you know, college students so often think like, ah, I know maybe I should follow Jesus, but he's such a, I don't know, is he kind of a buzzkill, right? Like, I mean, I, I kind of think like he's going to ruin all my fun. Like all the things that I want, you know, I'm going to lose life. I want to live life to the fullest. And Jesus is not that way. The Bible actually says he is exactly that way. And you are actually living in the opposite of that. You're actually living in what in Jesus. He's looking he's like, man, that's like death. That's not fulfillment. That's not how you were meant to be. That's not your true humanity in work. That is, that is so much less. And I'm offering you so much more. But there is life. And when you're alive, it completely changes everything. And so he's saying, would you want that? Do you want that? But... We talk about this idea like what, where do we find identity? And it's an interesting conversation. It's a, you know in our world today the idea of identity, where how I create my identity, or how I find my identity is such an interesting one. And and we've oftentimes in our world we look around the world and we say, man, there's so many places that. Uh, try to give you a sense of identity. They try to like speak it over you. And, there, and there's a sense of like, man, that's, that's so oppressive. That's so uh, just controlling. It's trying to make me into like a square peg or the round hole for, you know, they, they look at society and they look at like, you know, look at those, you know, think of like women's rights throughout the world. And you're like, man, look at how they're trying to fit, you know, people into this cultural mandate. It's like, man, it's not for us. And there's, and there's some good things about that tension that we feel like, man, this traditional perspective of, of finding identity from our society, from our from our culture, from the outside, the external, yeah, that's that's not for us. That's left our culture and our generation that we're working with, you and me, really in a funky place. Like, okay, how do I create that then? And so we look to ourselves, we look inside, be true to you, you do you, right? We have this we have this sense that, well, I can find my identity in myself but we were uh, a couple weeks ago we were looking at this book just in in the series a little bit from Timothy Keller um, and I wanted to quote him again tonight in his book making sense of God an invitation to the skeptical he said our contemporary approach to identity is incorrect is incoherent sorry if you look into your heart to find your deep desires you certainly will discover many of them and you will discover something else, that they contradict one another. Francis 
Spufford writes that you are a being whose wants make no sense. They don't harmonize. Whose desires, deep down, were are uh, discordantly arranged. So that you truly want to possess and you truly want not to. At the very same time, you're equipped for force or even tragedy far more than you are for happy endings. Identity is determined not by our feelings and desires, but rather by our beliefs about our varied, contradictory, changing feelings and desires. So what he's saying is, is if you look at yourself, this, which is where our society tends to go to, he's like, that's equally problematic. Because if you look to the society around you, it's oppressive. If you look to yourself, it's confusing. So what's left? And John here at the beginning of his gospel says there's a third way. There's a way out. If we look to God as the author of life and we say he actually wants to give you identity, to give you an identity, how much more powerful is that? Because what what we realize is what Timothy Keller is saying is we actually get our identity from what the external world, the people around us, what society, the culture, community, our friends, our family have said about us. And some of those things stuck and we like held to those like, okay, I agree with that. I believe that I internalized that. And so now I start to filter all of this chaos within me through that lens of what I believe about myself. But he goes on. He says to say, I love myself. And that is all that matters. That would not convince us of our worth unless we are mentally unsound kind of like by yourself you just can't convince myself just because you say like you know i'm smart just because you want to be smart i am i am like you know the smartest man alive you can say that but just because you say that or believe that by yourself you know, you, you have to realize at some point you come into conflict with reality meet somebody even smarter right like so there's always this external internal context so he's like hey you always find that there's this external component to what you believe about yourself. We need someone from outside to say we are of great worth. And the greater the worth of that someone or someone's, the more power they have to instill a sense of self and of worth. And so, you know, I can have, I, I can have a kid walk up to me and be like, I'm at the bank sometimes and, and you know, they always have these lollipops there. Like I can give that to you know, one of my kids, and they'd be like, Dad, you're so awesome. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm just getting like that. That doesn't really stick, right? He's my kid that just is like on a sugar high, and he's just like, whatever. He doesn't really know me that well. But when my wife says, hey, you're being such a great father or a great husband, that means so much more because there's something about like she knows me <laughs> that well, and there's something more deep about that. And now we have this God who knows you even better than yourself. And he says, would you let me speak over you? Would you let me speak identity? Would you let me say, you are my son and you are strong and you are courageous and you are brave and bold and you don't even know it, you don't even think it, you don't even feel it, but you, if you would just take hold of it, you would become that. Or you're my daughter and you're beautiful and you're worthy of attention and of affection and of drawing close to me and me drawing close to you that I want that for you. Would you receive that when you draw close to me in that way? Like that is that is God's heart. He's saying, would you be my child? Would you let me speak that identity over you? And can you, can you realize how much powerful that is? 
like how profound that is that like if if we were to take hold of that how much more resilience that is like you don't have to wake up every morning trying to prove yourself to yourself or to anyone else you are what you are because he your father has spoken it over you the creator of all reality who is more significant than that like i speak and a little gibberish comes out and hopefully the lord can use it for something good he speaks and you, and realities come into existence and he says you what could i do to create a reality for you i can make you my child that is the greatest value i can impart to you would you receive that would you take hold of that would you free yourself from the burden of trying to create or trying to fit into the box that your culture is telling you would you would you free yourself of that and just sit at my feet there's a story of mary and martha in the bible that jesus he starts to hang out with these ladies and and martha is is in the kitchen and she's doing all this work she's being a hostess with the mostest you know she's kind of I don't know what they did back then, you know, bake, baking maybe some cakes or something. But she was she was there. She was doing the hosting thing. And her sister, her younger sister, is just chilling at the feet of Jesus. And she's just there. She's just hanging out. And Martha's upset with Mary. It's like, I'm doing all the work. She's like, but Jesus said, actually, Mary's doing the better thing. Because the bigger thing is drawing close to the Creator. And when was the last time that you drew close to the author of life and said, would you speak life over me? I need your identity. I need your truth. I need your love. Would you? When was the last time you said, God, would you just draw close? Would, could I draw close to you? Could I just be with you? Can I just hang out with you? Can we just be together? And when was the last time you were at rest with the Lord in that way? And let him just shower his love in his grace there's truth on you but it's not just john saying hey god is is uh, jesus is powerful because he's god and not just like hey he is the foundation of where what we should build our lives upon because he's god but also because the word like the logos the the voice of god is flesh and what is that what does that mean well A couple of a couple of things here. What does it mean to know the word became flesh, became human? The word for dwelt means tabernacles. When he says the word came and dwelt among us, it's actually an uh, ancient Hebrew word for tabernacle, uh, which was this thing that happened with Moses in the desert with the people of Israel. And Moses, he just couldn't get enough. That's the thing about people who experience God; they just can't get enough. They just want more. They just want to keep sitting at his feet. They just want to keep being with him. And Moses is like, man, God, I want more of you. I want more of your presence. Like, can you just be with us? And, you know, last week we kind of told a story briefly of, you know, he's like, can I see your face? And God's like, that would short circuit you. Like, no, that's not going to work. But, but what we'll do, what we can do is you can build a tent. And and in that tent, we're going to create a little space there where, where we're going to put the, the Ark of the Covenant. And we're going to, and I'll just... My presence, my my Shekinah, my glory, my manifest presence, that'll be there. You guys don't go in there, but I'll be near you. And and what John is saying is that God became near to us. He tabernacled. God took on human flesh so that he could draw close to us. But then he says this other really interesting thing. He says, and we beheld his glory. That was what Moses wanted but couldn't do. 
In the Old Testament, God tabernacled with Israel. They could be near to God, but they couldn't see his glory. And here is John. He says, actually, we saw. Not only did we draw near, but we saw his glory. Because as Jesus took on human flesh, he was literally saying, I am drawing close to you. I am getting close and touchable and experiencing. And you can hear my voice and you can see my face and you can experience my goodness. And so look, look, look at me. And assess for yourself, am I that good? Am I that true? Am I that foundational for life? Am I the source of reality? Look. Because John says we saw his glory. And so a couple things here that that means, there's a lot of things we could say, but just a couple of things. The word became flesh means we can relate to him. There's this point where Jesus' friend Lazarus dies and it says he wept. He felt the grief. He felt the pain. They raised him from the dead. That was pretty cool. But he still was like, he felt the loss. And then he, you know, he experienced um, temptation, the desire to kind of cut corners and get ahead and like, man, just be so easy. And he overcame that, but he experienced it. He experienced, the Bible says, all that we experience in that way. Like, he experienced it. So, even separation, the abandonment of God. On the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced the consequences of our sin. Even though he overcame that, even though he lived perfect, he still experienced the consequences of it. And so in every way, he can relate to us. In every way, we can see our life through his eyes. We can look at our good things and the suffering and the problems and the all the different we can look at our life and we can assess reasonably like god who are you really because we can look through his eyes because he looked through ours like yeah okay i know what that's like i know what that what you're going through i i do i experienced that i know what you're talking about and we can relate to him and we can draw close to him it also means the word became flesh means we could speak identity over him say well God speaks identity over us yeah okay it's kind of a one way street no it's not because we also speak identity over him we say who are you to us as C.S. Lewis says are you a lunatic are you a liar are you lord are you inconvenient are you a distraction are you someday but not today are you are you who have you said Jesus is what identity have you given the Lord in your life what have you spoken over him sometimes in a meta narrative way God I don't want to deal with you I don't want to do that I don't want to bother with that I want to do my own thing I'm going to try to figure out if I can live life and have life without you and I'm going to do my own thing sometimes in a meta sense sometimes just micro like God I know I'm part of your family I'm your child but and I've been letting some voices in. I've been letting some other identities speak over me. Other than you is the primary. And I've, start, I've gotten distracted from, from letting you into my life. Like, what identities have you spoken over God? Who is he to you? Because he came close so that we could accept him. For those who would receive him, they become children of God. And we could reject him. He came into his own and his own... Re- didn't want anything to do with him. He came close so we could choose. But so we could see him and decide for ourselves. 
the Lord became flesh means we could speak identity over him and it also means he could take our place um, in so many times you know students are like I don't get that whole thing right I'm a good person I don't need God well okay that's fine good to who because if you were with us last week, we were talking about what is goodness. And Jesus defines it in John 17 as, as goodness is a statement, morality is a statement of, of relationship. It is, it is a statement of, of love, of authentic relational tethering. That like Jesus said, the point of all of morality is to love God and love your neighbor. The point of all of this is to express deep, authentic, meaningful, intimate relationship. So when you say, hey, I'm a good person, well, good to who? That's the question. Why do you do the things you do? Who do you do them for? And how have you been good to God? You say, well, I don't need God. I'm gonna, I just don't want to have anything to do with God, but I'm a good person. Well, you're not good to him because he's saying, I want a relationship with you. And you're saying, you know, screw you. I'm moving on from my life. I don't need you. So how are you good there, right? And so whenever, those, whenever there's an advantage, you're, whenever you walk away from a relationship, whenever you reject a relationship, there's a void that has to be reconciled if we're ever going to come back to that place and say, actually, I want you. I was uh, having a conversation with my wife and I had a couple over the other night, and and when you're married and you get together with other another married couple, you inevitably have a conversation. So how'd you meet? You know, what's the story? Like, you know, how do you get married? Right, and you tell those stories, and you, you kind of share them back and forth. And and we were kind of talking about that. And this couple had, had been married for over 40 years. And they told me I could tell the story. And uh, they were married for over, but, but they were telling the story of their dating experience. And the guy said, hey, you know, I was dating her for like three months. And then there was another girl who started pursuing me. And... It was just kind of like, whoa, hey, what's going on there? Like, kind of ego boost. He broke up with his girlfriends to pursue this other one. And and then after, I'm not sure how much time he said it was, but after a little while, he realized his mistake. He's like, what was I doing? I totally screwed that up and went running back, broke up with that girl and ran back to the, the first girl, right? And, and he's like, man, I really, I really want to keep going. And <laughs> and pursue this and and essentially, you know, she she then kind of gave that look, you know, she's like, yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't that easy, right? Like it wasn't just like, oh yeah, no problem, right? Because there had been a there had been a break in the relationship, and that's and that's not something that you just like, no big deal, because there has to be this forgiveness. But okay, we'll just forgive and move on. Well, yeah, that's that's easier said than done. There's there's this concept in forgiveness that when I first heard it, just suddenly everything just kind of made sense in my head in so many ways. But there's, it's this, that in forgiveness, someone always pays. Like, if I give you my car, and you go and you break and you crash my car, um, one of two things is going to happen. Either you are going to pay... I'm gonna get restitution. You're gonna pay for my car to get fixed, or you're gonna give me the money to get a new car or whatever, but you're gonna pay, or I'm gonna forgive you. But what does that mean? It means I pay. It means I don't have a car. Now I have to pay for a car that maybe I don't even have the money for that. 
And that's why forgiveness is so hard because there's something in us that says there's this wrongness to me, this feeling of injustice or wrongness says I, I have to pay if I forgive. I have to I have to take it on. Maybe I don't have enough money in the bank to really make this right in my own heart. I'm, I'm, do I have the strength to carry this? And so in forgiveness, someone always pays and Jesus comes on and says, you know, there's a lot of things that are happening on the cross. You know, we believe this is this is the climax of human history. This moment, all of human history, this is the climax, God's redemptive work for us on the cross. There's so many things going on, but certainly one angle of it. One angle of it is Jesus saying, look, this, I'm going to pay this price, but this is the cost. This, this suffering that I'm experiencing, this rejection, this abandonment, this physical suffering, and this spiritual reality that is, is maybe even more profound than we even ever realize. But this is the cost of your rejection, of your sin, of your selfishness, of you saying, I don't want to be part of your family. I don't, I'm a rebel without a cause. I'm choosing to do my own thing. See, I'm a good person, but good to who? Because the author of your very life is saying, I made you to have a relationship with me and through me to give you life, and you're walking away from it. But if you want to run back, that's great, but there's a cost to that, and I'm willing to pay it, but that's what the cross was. It was the cost of what our rebellion, you know, we think, oh, it's no big deal. No, it's, it was a big deal. It cost the creator of life his life so that we could find life. And so and so we see that. So sometimes people are like, well, yeah, okay, well, then I'm just going to keep away. I don't want to make God just, like have to pay that. You know, I don't want to be charity in that way. I'll just, you know, we'll do our own things. But but God says, no, no, I I already paid it. I already did. And I want you to have it. And so what do we do now? What how, how profound that is. And what does that mean if we reject that? You know, Hebrews says, what what happens to us if we reject so great a salvation as what God has done on the cross there? In Philippians, it says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, because he looked at the cross and he saw you. He said, yeah, that's worth it. I'll pay that to get you. And so would you receive that? Will you receive that tonight? Um, we're going to close just this way tonight um, before we go back into worship I just want to take I just want to take this moment that we have here uh, last outdoor outpost here and we're just kind of having a good time hanging outside but I want to take this moment and just ask you this question are you at a place where you're saying I need to sit and let God speak identity over you. Maybe for the first time. Maybe you've never let God say, would you be my child? Would you receive what I say about you? Would you let that be the reality that sticks to you? Would you accept my invitation to be part of my family? Would you take that? Maybe for the first time that's you. Or maybe you're already a follower of Christ, but you're just saying, man, I've had some things coming in. I've had some other things. I've been distracted from from him, and I haven't been sitting at his feet. You know, there's that story 
in the Gospels where Peter is in the boat, so there's a storm, and Jesus is walking on water. It's a pretty cool trick, right? You're like, wow. And and Jesus says, get out of the boat, Peter. Peter asks him, he says, get out. As long as Peter keeps his eyes on Jesus, it's all good. The rationality, it goes beyond rationality. The experience, let me tell you, that, that's, that's more than what our experiences would ever predict or understand or expect. Because he kept his eyes on Jesus, all those things became more than what they could have been because he was focused on God. But the moment he took his eyes off of Jesus, he started to sink. And that was, that was an expression to Jesus of like, man, you just got to keep your eyes on him. Will you let him guide you? Will you let him speak to you? Will you let him communicate what is possible? Not the rationality of your own mind, not the experience of your past, but to say, God, I just want to sit here for you. I just want to be with you. And so we're not even going to do the worship team. No emotionalism right now, no that stuff. But if you're at that place, like, God, I just want to sit at your feet. I just need you to speak identity over me. I just want to ask you to get up, get, you know, come to the front here, get off to the side here, and and just spend some time, you know, get on your knees, just sit. But but there is something powerful about the act of just moving, of of making a statement to myself, God, I am accepting who you say I am. I'm your child. Would you just speak to me? I need your life right now in my life, in my reality. Whether you're a Christian or whether this is for the first time, but would you just right now go ahead. We're just going to take a few minutes and just in quiet reflection sit at the feet of Jesus. So if that's you, go ahead right now. Go ahead. Go ahead and just kind of spread out. You can come up to the front here. I'm not going to do this for long. We're not going to, as I said, the worship team will come up in a minute. We're not going to dis- even distract what the Lord wants to say to you by, by making it musical and, and focusing your minds that way, although that's good, and we're going to do that in a minute. But for this moment, I just want to say, let the Lord speak to you. Be still, the Bible says, and know that I am God. Lord, we just want to know that you are God. Not just God as a concept, but we want to know you as the author of life, the giver of truth, the revealer of reality. God, would you stir in our hearts your goodness as we, keep, as we just start to put our eyes and keep our eyes and focus our attention and our gaze on you. God, may your beauty, your worth, your value and the value that you offer to us just begin to stir in our hearts and our minds. May our realities be defined by your logos, your word, your spoken truth over us. I just think it's just, it just, the thought that just, I can't ever not think anymore is that thought that the God who speaks in reality comes into existence is the same God who speaks and says, you are my son, you are my daughter, and you are worth every cost, every price. Lord, may our realities align to your truth. 